You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors. Today we have such a wonderful podcast. We are joined by a good friend of mine, Shannon Adcock. Shannon is the president of Awake Illinois. It's a group that's been started in Illinois to help fight for families and for children um, and really for our rights and our freedom and liberty. Um, So Shannon joins us this morning from Illinois. Good morning, Shannon. Is it cold out in Illinois? I'm in Florida. It is pretty warm here. I don't want to make you jealous. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. So yes, it is. It is cold, uh, bitter cold, but it's all good. I uh, we're running out the end of our winter break here um, with our three kids, and we're we're tackling a lot here. Though we are, we're busy. Uh, we've got a lot of warm bodies, a lot of moms and dads, and regular people that are just trying to take on the really awful, oppressive government here in Illinois. So Chicago Teachers Union on strike this week. I know they're saying it's not a strike. Um, I did an interview with Newsweek the other day. I said, um, teachers don't get to just pivot to online learning or remote instruction or whatever they want to call it anytime they want. So there was a vote that the Chicago Teachers Union took. And I know parents put their kids to bed on Tuesday night. They didn't even know if they were going to have school the next day, did they? No, they didn't. It was so sad. More than 300,000 kids were told that their kid, their teachers didn't want to go into the classroom. And then the Chicago public schools canceled entirely. And I don't know if you knew this, Tiffany, but Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago, she locked, she closed down the, the Google space, you know, the, the online learning platform, the internet for teachers. Um, so the kids got robbed twice. Well, I have to be it's honest with you. So it is, it is political gamesmanship. But I have to tell you, from my perspective, when I watched and I saw that saw that Chicago Public Schools wasn't going to be handing out the the devices, right? And then I watched mm-hmm. that Lightfoot wasn't going to. Um, you know, open up the Google Classrooms, right? In some ways, it feels smart to me, Shannon, because by continuing to allow this type of pivot, right, or this switching back and forth, it, it, I think at some point, you know, I mean, I'm not a big Lori Lightfoot fan, I'll be honest, but so um, it seems like Lori Lightfoot is trying, you know, in this moment to, to, I know it's probably too little too late, but, you know, trying to do something to help to get classrooms back open. She is, but, you know, the, the whole concept of, of where we are right now with 2022, right? Where we have the start of a midterm year, people are getting ready for their political campaigns. And this is all part of it. And our children are being used as pawns. And so, you know, I don't understand why the focus has been on, well, let's just see how we can, you know, bow down to the teacher unions and fight the teacher unions. They should all be fired, these educators who are not showing up for work. I 100% agree with you. I know I've heard a lot of comparisons made to Reagan and with the air traffic controllers. And when they went on strike, you just said, fire them all. And so, you know, what does that look like, right? Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I feel like they've abandoned the students. So losing their jobs, you know, they've abandoned their jobs. They've walked away. You know, what does that look like going forward, rebuilding Chicago public schools? Some might argue that maybe that's the best thing that could happen. I know that 
Um, third grade, fourth grade reading scores have been horrible. I know you were on a news program last night. They were talking about the fact that only about 26% of 11th graders um, are able to read or, or work at, at grade level in any capacity. Um, and uh, I did hear you mention that uh, last year, Chicago Public Schools celebrated um, their highest African-American graduation rate. I'm not sure that's ho- – I don't, I don't really understand how that's possible considering the fact that most of the kids weren't in school for most of the year. Oh, it's awful. The the Chicago public schools have failed children for many, many years. And these are some of the most marginalized communities in our country, right? And they're getting awful education. And so, yeah, they were like celebrating. Wow, we're doing great. No, you're not. You are failing these kids. Violent crime has skyrocketed. And we're to assume that, you know, remote learning is going to help with that. No, it's crazy. It's awful. It's crazy. So explain to me, the sh- so the, the union took a vote, and what were the results of that vote? So the results were 20. It's like 23%? Have it 20, 20, yeah, 23% of, of educators wanted to be back in the classroom after the return from winter break. Okay. The other seven, yeah. About 70-something percent said, no, we want to, we, we don't, they, yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's awful, Tiffany, is these teachers who opted for remote, they have these teacher groups on Facebook where they post. They were celebrating. They were celebrating this. Celebrating that schools were going to be closed. Yeah, they were celebrating it. They were saying, I'm hoping it's going into the spring. I mean, these these teachers, you can't help but wonder, do they really even they don't even enjoy their profession? They just want the paycheck. They're not there for the children. Wow. They're not there as educators. They are celebrating remote learning. That's crazy. And, you know, I mean, I think one of the things my kids will tell me all the time, I've got four kids and they'll say they can tell when a teacher isn't invested or involved or excited. Excuse my dogs, ladies and gentlemen, they are here today with me. Um, but, yeah, but um, you know, the, kids can feel when people are not invested, right, in their education. Or, and and so what can. message does it send to the children that, you know, schools once again are closed? So you talked a little bit. I know that some teachers are showing up for, for school, I think there was something like 10% on Wednesday, and then I, I think that grew a little bit on Thursday, about 12% or 13% did come to school. So I, I know that it, there's a teacher that I saw you post about, and, and can you tell me a little bit about him? Because I know he's a champion for kids. He is Mr. Joe Ogle. So he's a longtime educator in, in Chicago public schools, and he was actually kicked out of the union years ago because he wouldn't go along with the strike. And he, they still collect dues, but he has made a very firm stand for a long time in his community to say, we, we need to be in the classroom teaching the, these kids, especially in the communities in which they work. And here he is battling cancer and he's not stopping. He's wow. going right into that school. He deems his profession to be essential, rightfully, but he has a calling. He's a true noble educator. And I wish there were more like him. Absolutely. So tell us, what has it been like in Illinois for kids that have been able to be in school? Because, um, you know, we're seeing that masking is kind of going away in some places across America, but that's not happening in Illinois, is it? It's not. And that's why it gives everybody so much pause with this CPS school closures, because here you have educators who have had every opportunity to get the vaccine. They have a very rigorous Uh, testing program statewide that is earmarked and supported by our governor 
you have some of the strictest COVID-19 measures in place that many of us are certainly fighting because we want as parents due process. There's an unprecedented court case right now in Sagamon County where we're fighting that. But if all of these mitigations work, why couldn't they go back to school this week? Right. What is missing? What are they asking for? Everything has already been put in place. So again, it's just politics for the kids who have been in school. They're thriving. The, the, The classical academies, the private schools who have gone their own way and not bowed to political pressure. Their kids have been unmasked this whole year and they're not dead, Tiffany. They're thriving. On the contrary, they're thriving. They're doing great. They're moving beyond the pandemic year. They have teachers in a supportive school that is, you know, just just bringing them out of this pandemic. It's needed. And here we have the public schools like CPS that are just further hurting kids who need enrichment, who need an education the most. So where do we go from here? How can parents across the country help you? I think, you know, there are a lot of people watching what's happening in Chicago and saying, my goodness, it's my district next, right? And I think it's interesting because schools have reopened across the country. You know, here in Florida, schools have been open. Some opened on Monday, some opened on Wednesday, but all across the country, we've got kids back in schools. Um, There are some, you know, uh, staffing shortages. I know that, you know, some people are um, sick, but it seems like, you know, the, the latest variant of this, this, virus seems to not be as dangerous, right? That it seems to be more of a cold. And so we hope anyone who isn't feeling well feels better soon. And, and, and we, you know, we understand that, you know, kids get sick in school. We know that kids get sick just in general, right? That's part of life, right? right? I mean, people do mm-hmm. too. And so, you know, I think we're all kind of watching saying what, what happens here, right? So if, if this strike, so now it's Friday, we go into next week. Now we've had a whole week in some places of schools being open, of kids being in classes. You know, is there like a sweet spot moment where we where we can really look at Chicago, the Chicago Teachers Union and say, okay, people, like everybody else is doing it. And, and there's, I mean, it, it's been very interesting to see, right, what's going to happen. Right. Well, and I appreciate your offer. You know, we're, we're excited for Moms for Liberty to get here in Illinois. We're going to help collaborate with you on that. We, we need as many joyful warriors in this fight Aww. as possible. But in, the, in the meanwhile, Tiffany, I think what is helpful right now is for educators who are really, especially the new educators who are young and aren't invested, you know, in their pension path. You know, they're not in their you know 50s, but they're young. For them to hear stories of educators in other states or throughout Illinois where they're not part of this big union mafia, right, where they've gone rogue and they can still teach, they can still have that, you know, uh, maybe through a a different union, a a third-party union that's not one of the big, um, you know, NEA, AFTs, and they can still teach. You know, here teachers feel so bound and imprisoned by the teacher union. You know, what happens Chicago if they stand union. up? What happens if they stand up against them? I mean, is, it, is there a lot of backlash? I'm, I'm, I, I just, it just feels overwhelming that so many people are support. I saw on The View, The View was supporting Chicago Teachers Union taking a stand. I mean, you know, what happens? I, 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 well, I, I just can't imagine being a teacher and having to stand up against that type of a behemoth. Like, it's just overwhelming. You, you can't, know? but some are, some are doing it, though. Yeah. Some are doing it. I mean, you saw almost 30% in Chicago Teacher Union did it. Thank goodness. Good for those teachers, right? Let's celebrate them for a second. Absolutely. Hats off to them. They're wonderful, beautiful people. They are essential and they are, they're amazing, especially in those communities. It's not easy to teach 
in Chicago public schools. We respect that, but it's all the more noble that they do it and they have to show up for work. So I think to empower educators to say it's okay to not bow down to this mafia beast and we will help you, we will support you, right? Like when educators know they have allies in their community, it makes it easier. When we help link them to other educators who come to us and say, look, this is not, this is not my union. This doesn't represent me, right? We can connect them to other educators. And I'm sure as Moms for Liberty gets involved here, you build those relationships with educators in the community and you bridge people together to take on this very you know, machine of the teacher union mafia. It's not, this is a long game. It's not going to happen overnight, but in a midterm year and with this fertile ground with school closures, it can happen. I really have faith in it that it will happen. It's just going to take our communities to get more organized. I absolutely agree with you. So if you are a teacher and you are listening to this, just know we want to partner with you. Parents want to partner with you. We respect the yes. work that you do with our kids and come find us. The parents want to help you. Um, we see the unions yes. working against our families and against our communities, and we really want to empower teachers. So um, if if teachers are in Illinois, they can reach out to you at Awake Illinois. Tell us a little bit about some of the work that Awake Illinois has, has been doing. Yeah, well, so Awake Illinois launched initially uh, earlier this year uh, with parent advocates who were who were trying to get schools reopened, right? And here we are in January of 2022 with vaccines, with testing, with all of the mitigations and the data to show that our children are okay. They're okay when it comes to COVID-19, the data shows that schools are not super spreaders and kids fare extremely well, blessedly, with the virus. And so we all got together and said, how do we elevate the parent voice? You know, you've said repeatedly, Tiffany, parents were not given a seat at the table in their children's education. And so when we all got together, we said, we have to go rogue. It's not going to be, you know, the political parties, the Democrats or the Republicans who will help us. They failed us in many ways. We're going to go rogue as just a parent group that's going to elevate our voice, work with our legislators, appeal to, to each one of us in the community to say, hey, you're not alone. You're not crazy for wanting your schools open. You're not crazy for saying, where are my tax dollars going right now? Where have the ESSER funds gone? Millions of ESSER funds gone. Are they going to our kids? So we're elevating that voice in a very grassroots fashion. And what's beautiful is through your efforts nationally, through grassroots efforts in, you know, whether it's Awake Illinois in our state or many others, it's just regular people who are going to save the day. And I think 2022 is going to be extremely transformative. I absolutely agree with you. So resources for Illinois parents on the Awake Illinois website, if you could share some of those with us. Yeah, so we have... <laughs> We have tackled a lot of different things this past year. So we've tackled the, the health rights. We've put forms out for parents to show their schools that they have the opportunity under the law for due process where they can say to the, to the schools, hey, I don't want you to force facial coverings on my child, right? I don't want you to not go along with the law, which says you have to have a court order to keep my kid out of school, asymptomatic, and quarantined. And so with these forms, we've empowered parents to know what the exact law is when it comes to their children and their access to school. And it's amazing how now this is all culminated in a lawsuit. And it's going to be really interesting in the coming weeks. I'll keep you posted, Tiffany, on the outcome of that. 146 school districts were sued and 700 parents. And Awake Illinois really helped facilitate a lot of that. We just got parents together and made it happen. And we're taking the state to Springfield. But outside of that, we've been tackling divisive curricula 
empowering parents to know what to look for in their children's education. You know, we fell asleep at the wheel for too long, right? We're awake now. Yep. And parents need to know what to look for in the curriculum and really learn how to be a partner in their child's education. We can't just let, you know, we can't just assume that everything is honky dory anymore. COVID shined a light on that. We have to be actively engaged in our children's education. What are the books that they're reading? Right. What are the discussions that are happening with highly digitalized education these days? The, the materials don't come home. And so everything from education, device of curricula, health rights, legislative calls to action. Oh, there go my dog. Yeah, You're talking you go. to your dog. <laughs> um, all of these topics that parents are finally getting engaged in is where when you go to Awake Illinois, you can find a chapter in your community. We have 31 chapters right now. You can discuss these issues in your community because every community has you know, certain specific things that they're highlighting, right? In some communities, it might be more focused on divisive curricula and others, it might be you know, health rights. And so each community has autonomy to say, okay, which resources do we need to allocate for Absolutely. this fight right now? And that's kind um, of the same model that Moms for Liberty has taken. It's got to, the change has to come in your own backyard. You're going to have to build the relationships with the elected officials that are in your community. You're going to have to find people in your community to run for office, right? Yeah. And then you're going to have to support them because it's not enough just for one of you to run. Then you're going to have to build an army behind that person to help them and stand by them to make some of these decisions that may be unpopular at first, you know, but I'll tell you, you know, you're watching Eric Adams in New York City right now. He stood up today and said, New York City schools are open, even it's snowing out there. I know there are some people that are upset schools are open. But he said today, there is no time to waste. We do not have a day anymore. Right. We do not have time to keep these children out of school. And I loved, he said, I'm hearing from parents and the two, they're telling me two words, thank you. Right. And so parents across the country say thank you to teachers for showing up for work. Thank you to elected officials. I don't care if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're an independent. I don't doesn't make a difference. Are you going to put kids first? Are you going to keep schools open? Do you care about families yeah. as partners in their children's education? Right. Absolutely. Children transcend party line. It, yeah. We have to all come together for these kids. They're our future. It's not even about our generation, Tiffany. It's not about us as moms and dads. No. Our generation is set. We're defined. It's the kids and even more so our grandkids. What are we handing to them? What torch are we handing to them? So if Hopefully people want to, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to keep the torch lit. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what Moms for Liberty is about. We're going to hold the torch. Yep. We're going to make sure that we continue to pass it on. And we are going to continue to light this fire of liberty and freedom across sure. the United States and remind people you know, Americans, that you have rights. Some of those rights are natural yeah. rights that the government does not give you and has no right to take away. Some of those rights are rights that are granted to us, you know, like the right to peacefully assemble. And we need to make sure that we keep those alive and we exercise those rights so that we can preserve them. Um, so Absolutely. Shannon, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and chatting with us and telling us a little bit about what's happening in Chicago and Illinois. If people want to follow you and, and kind of see what's happening in Illinois, can you give us, tell us how to catch up with Awake? Sure. So awakeil.com is the website and we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Uh, we're, you know, again, we're, we're just trying to really get out into the community, the message that you aren't alone. Right. Yeah. And so we're waking people up. We're all over social media. Uh, we're going to be in Springfield again in a couple of weeks for this lawsuit. Um, we're absolutely an open door. You know, I have people calling me from all over the state. We get people to whatever resource they need to fight for their children, to fight for liberties. We're just regular people. So reach out to us anytime. Um, 
we're fully available and accessible. This is a full-time unpaid job for <laughs> those of us parents in this fight, and yep. we're, we're ready to go. Awesome. So, And we're excited to expand into Illinois in the new year, 2022. We're going to try to start some Moms for Liberty chapters in Illinois and start helping and really focusing in on parental rights and education because that's really what Moms for Liberty is about. It's about defending those parental rights and being effective advocates for your children um, at all levels of government. So, Shannon, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. Stay warm, and we're going to pray that Chicago public school teachers decide to go back to work. Thanks for all you do. Moms for Liberty, you rock. Thanks, Shannon. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Next up, we chat with Pat, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Now it's time for my favorite part of the Joyful Warrior podcast. It is time for chat with Pat, but today we are not going to have as much fun as we did for our Christmas episode, uh, are we, Pat? We're going to talk about something that's kind of serious that a lot of our moms across the country are concerned about. That's right. With uh, everyone going back to school after Christmas, parents are once again being faced with uh, school districts uh, throwing spaghetti at the wall, as my good, as one of my good friends call it. Oh my goodness, uh, we just they- talked. So today on the podcast, um, I chatted with Shannon from Awake, Illinois, about Chicago public schools and and the fact that they're completely shut down. But schools that are open, what are they trying to do? Well, you know, they continue to try to convince everyone they can control a virus. Right. And so the newest thing is this test to stay programming. I do not like test Uh, to stay. You you know how I feel about anything medical happening at schools. Um, Just for our listeners to know, uh, if you don't know, I served as a school board member, as did Tina Deskovich, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. And uh, we are aware of instances at schools where um, there were vaccines being given. It was flu vaccine and they were given to the wrong child that didn't have consent. So it happens. Uh, so you hear me, even with the test to stay for COVID, you, I, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm not a fan of test to stay. So how are these school districts doing it, Pat? Um, well, you know, it's funny. Every time these policies, these new policies come across, they're always arbitrary and capricious. Um, and they're never applied across the board the same way. But the idea and how they're billing it is uh, we want kids in school. The best way to keep them in school is, uh, this test to stay program where if your children are identified as a close contact, which again is arbitrary and capricious. They bring uh, out the ruler, they do in the six feet ruler, the three feet ruler. Well, How are they? Right. Or if you wore your mask properly, or if you've had a vaccine, right. there's all kinds of rules about, there's all kinds of different rules about how they identify your close contact. So these policies are arbitrary and capricious. Uh, and the idea is if you are a close contact, instead of being excluded from school, you would have the option to test every day before you come to school and they'll let you come to school. Every day. You have to test every day. Yes. The policy that I have seen, um, is every day and they have this, this one school district, uh, where that a parent shared with me, they actually, for your convenience and for the parents' convenience have certain clinics where you can go one clinic actually in a school where you can go the time is like from 2 30 to 7 so is this this chippewa valley school so if you're identified as a close contact which has been a process so i'm looking at this you must stay home for 10 days 
or submit every day for testing at one of their testing sites. So then they have to figure out some way to get to a testing site from 2.30 to 7.30, Monday through Friday, or 10.30 to 2.30 on Sundays at one of their convenient testing centers. And, um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that I saw with uh, the, the quarantines across Florida was the kids don't get sick. I mean, right. a lot of these kids and get removed from school and they're not actually ever positive. Right. And that's what you saw being a school board member. You saw hundreds of children missing, you know, sometimes 30 days of school if they got two back-to-back quarantines. Your quarantines were 14 days, I think. Um, and none of them ever got sick. They're healthy children. So let's talk about the Florida Surgeon General who rocks, by the way. Um, tell oh us a little gosh. bit. So Joseph Latipo is the Florida Surgeon General. He is um, also no slouch when it comes to his resume. So he's Harvard Medical School. Um, he's an MD and PhD, so he's legitimate um, for all the gaslighters out there. And he was recently in a press conference where he talked about this policy being bad health policy, bad testing policy. And it made so much sense to me. He says, you know, good policy for testing is when the testing affects clinical outcomes. So like when we get the strep or the flu, we think, oh, I might, I'm having symptoms. And you go to the doctor and they swab your throat or they do the nasal swab and they find out early on you have strep or flu and that forms the decision making by how they treat you. Either they give you Tamiflu or they give you the antibiotics. And we know that early treatment affects your clinical outcome. You're going to get better quicker and you're going to have less lasting effects. So that would be what the medical community considers good policy. But this policy of testing healthy individuals does not affect clinical outcomes. And it uses up tests that people need. And I know that the your awesome governor, um, despite not being given the test promised by the federal government, has been able to find tests and get it into the hands of people who really need it. Yeah, um, a million like, tests into nursing homes and um, elderly care facilities and uh, people, you know, high-risk people so that they can test. And, and so that that's really where we should be focusing the testing on the people that are, are really the highest risk, right? Especially when there's this testing sto- right. shortage. Right, because... You know, like in Florida, one of the best states, I think, in the nation, because he's opened up avenues of treatment other than, oh, you just get a vaccine and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, we saw monoclonal people, antibodies. We saw person after yeah. person after person speaking out, saying that within 24 to 48 hours, they were feeling um, almost completely better. Um, early treatment saves lives. And, and so that's been a question from the beginning. You know, why has that not been embraced slowly? We're finally seeing across the country that it is being embraced and, and no doubt will it save lives. Right. So um, that's good policy. But this policy of using up tests, which we don't have enough, to test healthy people uh, is bad policy. And also, here's a question, are these tests even reliable, especially early on? So if you are identified as a close contact, even the CDC says that the antigen tests that are being used, these rapid tests, are not able to detect whether or not you're sick until like day three or five. Um, the National Institute of Health, they just started regulatory review of all of these tests to make sure they're high quality and accurate and reliable. 
And the first test, the first at-home rapid test wasn't approved by the FDA until six months ago, or six months into the pandemic of 2020. Okay. And so you have to ask yourself with the rush to get these tests to the market, are they reliable? And is the way that we're using them uh, helping with the reliability and accuracy? So and the takeaway, no, I think you're right. And I think the takeaway here is really that testing healthy children is just bad policy. And it's taking it's tests away policy. from the people that really need them. That's correct. Yeah. And it does nothing to really keep children in school. So let's talk about and the money. There is so much uh, money. Oh, my goodness, so much money being spent on testing, not to mention the waste, pro, you know, the, the byproducts, right? The waste that's coming from all of the tests. And, and But my goodness, how much money has the government allocated for testing so far? So far, and they're not done. There's going to be more because we don't have enough, you know, tests for demand. So far, $73 billion wow. has been allocated toward testing. Um, and did you hear, I just saw that, the president has said that insurance companies must now reimburse people for tests that they purchase. Wow. And, you know, what does... Like what insurance wasn't then? expensive to have before, right? My goodness. Right. There's nothing free, y'all. <laughs> no, 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 no. There is nothing free. So I, I saw, and I know you shared with me, that on September 11th, two days after submitting a final invoice to Metro Nashville Public Schools for $1.7 million in COVID-19 testing efforts, Nashville entrepreneur Turner Nash posted a picture of a Ferrari steering wheel on his Instagram account. That one school district reports spending over $14 million in COVID relief funds this year. So, I mean, my goodness, um, th this gentleman's okay, so making money this. off of testing or? Right. Well, yeah, and I'm all for, you know, people making a living and making money, but we need to sit back and just look at the billion dollar industry that is now been created COVID-19 testing and ask ourselves if Every school district in the United States of America is spending millions of taxpayer dollars for COVID-related expenses, and our children are still not in school, rely, you know, effectively. They're being cut out of school. They're being sent home as healthy children. Sometimes some of the they're schools aren't behind. even open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're behind um, academically. Is this a good use of our taxpayer dollars? No, you know, and, and so so interesting to me, the schools in general, and I put on Twitter recently a, a, a statement that I made when I was on school board, that it's like shooting fish in a barrel or fishing in a like, you know, the kids are in the school. So it was so easy for the Department of Health to exercise their authority and their control in schools because they could contact trace. And so when I was watching all these kids being quarantined in the schools, but in the community, nobody was being quarantined. Like, you know, there was bridge yeah. going, but there were bridge, there was bridge games going on. People were at the mall. People were, you know, congregating in all different ways. And there's no quarantining happening or contact tracing happening from any of those events out of offices and, and things like that. And so, you know, I kind of look at the spending about the testing and all of this in the same way. It's just like all of our taxpayer dollars are funneled into these schools. You know, they know we want our kids back in school. And so, you know, there are people who are making money. And yeah, I love capitalism, but, you know, our taxpayer 
$1,500 in schools need to be going to teaching kids to read. And the more we continue to divert funds and misallocate funds into testing, into all these other mitigation strategies that are not meaningful, rather than looking at airflow, right? Rather than looking at air yeah. quality issues, rather than looking at real mitigation strategies, um, you know, it, it's just continuing to take away from our kids. And I think parents and people across the country are getting wise to it and saying enough money being spent on this stuff that is not making a meaningful difference in our children's lives. Yeah. Well, and you know that what isn't capitalism is government spending waste and abuse of the taxpayer. 100%. And, and we have to stop funding. You said it well uh, on TV when you were interviewed and you said we have to stop funding this incompetence. We yeah. cannot continue to fund it. Um, and you also just made a, a very good point, which would be our third point, is that these policies are harmful to children. They are. Because it is keeping them from a normal life. There are many children who have never had a normal experience. School experience. No, this is, we're going into the third year. So if your kid, start, you know, start was in kindergarten or was supposed to start kindergarten, I mean, they haven't had a normal experience. It's crazy. And we and and schools and government facilities are really the only place where we prohibit people from living a normal life. And just like you said, these co these stringent uh, COVID policies that have not done one thing to mitigate the spread or uh, you know control the the virus. I mean, we're we're at our highest numbers ever, according to the news. Yeah, and given um, everything that we've tried to do to stop it, and, and yet, you know, right. the, the cases are still and yet, going on. And yet, we still act like the onus is on our children to, <laughs> to control a pandemic. Never have we shouldered our children with the burden of keeping adults healthy. I do not know why it started, but it must stop. If you are a vulnerable person, protect yourself. Right. If you're high risk, protect yourself. But expecting children to be the protectors of everyone else um, to me is ludicrous. And so, you know, parents, um, you have the natural right, the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of your children. Their health care and medical care is part of that. And so um, I know I've said this from the beginning and it's tough and it's hard. But the truth is this stops when parents say it stops. Your child stops wearing a mask when you say that your child stops wearing a mask. And if all of the parents together stood up and said, no, uh, this isn't happening anymore, um, it's going to stop faster. You saw out in Los Angeles that 30,000 children were unvaccinated. There was a mandate for force facts. They wanted to mandate vaccines for all K through 12 students. Um, actually, maybe it was just high school. I'd have to go back and look at that. And, and uh, there were students who were not vaccinated, and they've now pushed off that uh, requirement until the fall. And so um, it does make a difference when you stand up. It does make a difference to push back. And parents, you, we have to claim those rights. Yes, and with rights come responsibilities. Absolutely. The only thing I want to remind parents of, because as a former teacher, this used to really get, burn my bottom. <laughs> if your children are sick, yeah. stay Home. Keep them home. If yeah. they are sick, keep them home. I, yeah. And so with rights come responsibilities and we as parents need to take those responsibilities. Because we um, love our teachers seriously. and we want to keep them healthy and we want to keep them in the classroom for, for the That's kids. Right. And, and we want to keep as many kids in the classroom as possible. So I think it's a great message, a great way to end uh, this chat with Pat this week. The, one of the more serious topics that we've covered, to be honest, um, you can hear I'm pretty passionate about it. Pat is too. Um, we know it's affecting you and your lives and, and we're here to try try to help you through it. Um, Pat, any, any last message to our joyful warriors around the country this week as we are, in, we embarking on 
uh, the first week of school in 2022 or ending, excuse me, the first week. So for, so for our joyful warriors who are in the fight, continue to tell your community what's going on in your schools. Continue to advocate for your children and show up to those board meetings and, and hold your elected officials and, and school officials accountable. And if you're not uh, in the fight, if you're not, if you're still sitting on your comfy couch and you're tired of being tired, uh, go to momsforliberty.org. Look for your local chapter. And if you don't have one, find out how you can start one. Get a group together. We're here and we want to help you help your children. I don't think I could say it any better than that. Love you, Pat Blackburn. I hope you have a great day and uh, we will catch up with you next week. You too. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand, our children, our choice, our future.